They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is Mine, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome back to episode 19 of Bead vs. The Living Dead, the podcast where I dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, and so much more to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead, across all media. I can't believe I'm already at episode 19 of this show, one more episode away from the milestone 20th episode of this show. And I'm very excited because, like, <laughs> I would, given that there's so many Night of the Living Dead content out there, you would think, oh, maybe there's not that much. It probably isn't going to be that many episodes. But the fact that I'm already gone up to 20 episodes so far kind of sh- shows that there there's so many different versions of Night of the Living Dead out there. And, um, <laughs> and it has been interesting because we've gone from all different types of media through the show we've done films we've done books we've done musicals we've done scores and now finally we're heading to the tv side of night in the living dead joining me for this episode is someone who is making her return after appearing all the way back on episode 16 and that of course is my good friend and as well as the host of the awesome podcast schlock and awe Lindsay Wilkins. Hello, Lindsay, and welcome back to Bead vs. the Living Dead. Hey, B, Thanks for having me on again. No, this is uh, absolute joy. And the fact that I'm getting to talk about a couple of good movies, I'm actually, kind of, well, not a couple of good TV episodes, I should say. I am looking forward to talk. I am looking forward to this. Indeed, I am as well. So it's kind of an interesting thing, because like I said, like the audi- our audience out there are probably thinking, how do you do Night of the Living Dead in for a TV show? Well, two separate TV shows found a way to do that. So for this episode of Bead vs. the Living Dead, we're going to be talking about two Night of the Living Dead-themed episodes from the TV shows Medium and Cinema Toast. Yeah, we are. No, this is really, really exciting. Considering I have never watched an episode of either of these shows, and I just realized kind of Medium's kind of up my alley, uh, this is this is very exciting. Yeah, it is. And um, and I'm very glad you're back, Lizzie. But before we get to the topic at hand, how have things been going with you and also over at uh, Schlock and All? Uh, they are going really good. I'm I'm kind of surprised I'm still enjoying it as much as I am. But no, I get to talk to people like you and a whole bunch of other people that have met through it. So, And we just talk movies. And it's really fun. So no, it is absolutely fantastic. Uh, as you know, because you were on it, we did just do a uh, Ausploitation New Wave kind of series. 
And mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks, uh, we will also be doing a Sergio Leone Western series. So Ooh. I'm really looking forward to um, that kicking off. Well, I look forward to hearing that because, like, Sergio Leone, I mean, he's a legendary director. Unfortunately, he has not made any zombie films, at no. least that I'm not aware of. But that being said, though, I could already see that that be a great series for your show because, like I said, he's one of our greatest directors and he's made so many classic films. And he's also influenced so much. Even if, mm. I won't give away the film I was watching that I didn't realize had a Sergio Leone bent to it, but then it showed up and I was just like, holy shit, doing Leone. Um, it's amazing how much he has just influenced film. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. But I look forward to hearing that series. I guess we could go straight to our first episode of a TV show <laughs> that's centered around Night of the Living Dead. First up, we're going to be talking about episode six from season six of the TV show Medium, which is called Bite Me. When a scary movie They're coming to get you, Barbara. invades her dreams, it has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life. Alison Dubois' worst fears. What if I die in my dream? I won't let anything happen to you. Could come back. I don't want to die! Biter. Brand new medium, Friday at 9, exclusive to living. Now, for all those out there who don't remember what the TV show Medium was, it was a TV show that ran from 2005 and to 2011. Medium was created by Glenn Gordon Caron. And of course, uh, the plot summary of this show, which I am going to read off IMDb, is... Suburban mom Alison Dubois attempts to balance family life with solving mysteries using her special gift. The dead send her visions of their deaths and other crimes while she's asleep. So this is a show that's based on real-life medium Alison Dubois, who had been known to work for the police on occasion. So this whole series is based on her exploits as a medium. However, though, the episode in particular, which is centered around Night of the Living Dead, which of course is the episode Bite Me. Now, the plot summary for the episode is, in a Halloween special, Allison has vivid nightmares that insert her into scenes from the classic horror film, Night of the Living Dead. Now, this episode was directed by Alan Lipstad, written by Robert Doherty and Craig Sweeney. Of course, uh, the stars of this episode, of course, are the show's regular cast members, Patricia Arquette, Miguel Sandoval, David Colbert, Sophia Vasileva, and if I butchered your last name, please forgive me, Theodore Lark, and Jake Weber, and with a guest appearance by Ada Totoro. I have known about the TV show Medium for quite a lot while, Lindsay, because now my mum, she loves police procedurals. She, she watches them all from uh, Law and Order to this show, because I remember she had watched Medium quite a lot when that was on TV. And every now and again, like sometimes I would see her watch an episode and sometimes I'll, if I'm doing something, I'll sit there and maybe and watch an episode like with her as well. Or if I'm working on something, I kind of, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's the thing. Medium is one of those shows like you could put on in the background and you don't have to 100% pay attention to it, but it's kind of like more comfort kind of TV shows in oh, terms yes. of it. Since it's like a police procedural, you can kind of know the formula and how these episodes work. Yeah, so I knew about this show beforehand, but I didn't realize that 
Medium did a whole episode that was centered around Night of the Living Dead. And it actually found a pretty clever way to do that. But before we actually get into our thoughts on the episode, uh, Lindsay, since this you told me before this was your, the first episode you've ever seen from Medium, what did you think of what you saw from the show and also your thoughts on this episode? I liked it. I mean, like your mother, I love uh, Crime Procedural. I watch them all the time, especially when I want to kind of um, relax. And my favourite shot, which is weird that I haven't seen this, because my favourite subgenre is people investigating crimes who should not be in, who should not be allowed in the police. This is like Castle. This is like, um, oh, God, the one with Simon Baker, who was like oh, the, uh, mentalist. the mentalist. Yeah, the mentalist. Yep. All those kind of ones where they take a person who should not be a cop, pair them with a cop, and then they go solve crimes, uh, which is the medium. Uh, so I found it really comforting, like, because it's that type of show, it just hits all the beats that you kind of want from that kind of show, but also it works in uh, this really cool Night of the Living Dead. And also, I'm not sure if it was, but an Elvira cameo as well, at, right at the yes. beginning. <laughs> yes, I was not, like, I expected a lot of things when I sat down to watch this episode of Medium, and but I was not expecting Elvira to make a cameo at the beginning of the episode so i was kind of a little taken aback when she popped up out of nowhere it was really cute actually um though before we get into it let's be honest it probably should have been nightmare in elm street that it was kind of riffing on more but mm. that's not public domain night of the living dead is so they did night of the living dead yeah definitely i think that's probably one of the interesting things about this episode like it they do say that right up front that this is a halloween episode yes. like everywhere i've read on this episode it was i believe it actually was released on halloween night back in 2009 so that kind of makes sense so there's definitely i mean based on the other episode the occasional episode i saw from this show this is definitely one of the more sillier episodes that i've seen from medium heads like having elvira pop up in a little cameo at the beginning, but also like in terms of like incorporating Night of the Living Dead in its plot. But you're right though, what kind of struck me the most about this episode, there was a lot of a Nightmare on Elm Street influence because uh, during the course of the episode, uh, Allison is working on a case in about, uh, about the murder of a mortician. But every night that while this case is going on, she dreams about the film Night of the Living Dead, where she plays the role of Barbara. Yes. <laughs> I'm not Barbara, I'm Allison. Like she says that a thousand times. Exactly, exactly. And Rosetta Arquette being inserted into these scenes. So they actually do a pretty good job at like inserting her. That's actually really scenes. well done. Yeah. Especially when she's with Johnny, like, and he's, it's the movie and they've inserted her in the movie. Later on, it becomes less that, but that particular scene I thought was really, really good. Oh yeah, definitely. And of course she's wearing the exact same outfit and everything. But every time she's in these dreams, something happens to her. She wakes up and she finds an injury on her, whether it be like uh, a zombie scratching her, she wakes up with big scratch marks on her arm or uh, a zombie bites her on the leg and she wakes up with an actual wound on her leg. Yeah, like there's a lot of Elm Street kind of influence in this episode. And I and a part of me has to think that this was definitely not coincidental. This had to be a little bit a more of a nudge nudge wink wink to the audience, given that, as we all know, Patricia Arquette, one of her first big major 
film roles was, of course, starring in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. It really was. It actually felt like that's what they wanted to do originally. Realised they couldn't get the rights from New Line to do more of a Freddy-influenced thing about this and then switched it over to Nightmare on Elm Street and saying that but doesn't take away from what the episode's doing but it was just a bit frustrating because i think she, she also plays alice in uh in nightmare and Elm, in dream warriors doesn't she oh yes she does yeah. yeah so it's just like oh my god seriously why aren't you doing just doing freddy but uh, you know you gotta pay robert england and as we all know that hollywood's not good on paying people at the moment so mm. <laughs> so um yeah, that was just a little bit frustrating only because the wink wink nudge nudges are there. And I did actually go back and watch a few episodes of the first season after watching this. And it's very it's a very silly show. I mean, she'll suddenly just get vision it's she always it always starts with a dream that she's having that will link into the rest of the episode. It's and then she'll just suddenly just get visions of things that are happening around her. And I love the fact that just everyone's just so accepting of the fact that she's a psychic. She'll just say, I'm oh, yeah. a psychic and they're like cool they're very and they always believe her and they always kind of it is a very like a lot of these kinds of shows it is very silly and you just kind of have to accept what you're watching but i like patricia Arquette, so i'm i'm not mad i was not mad watching i actually got quite into it so i think this might be my new i just need to fall asleep to tv show oh yeah definitely and i can definitely understand like even based on this episode and some of the other episodes i've seen i can definitely see why patricia arquette i believe she won an emmy during the first season yeah, of the she, show. yeah she is very good and it was for the time it was made it was it's very oh look at this working mother who's trying to balance kids and a career and being psychic all at the same time but you've got to remember for that time you didn't see like just the supportive husband on television mm. so yeah uh, it's look i like it i'm gonna watch it again but it's a show i will like to goof on quite a bit oh yeah definitely and it was kind of interesting to me because like people are probably out you know the audience are probably wondering how does night of the living dead kind of become a part of this film and like why does allison start dreaming about it it's because like earlier in the episode allison's daughters they're watching night of the living dead on the TV and on they Sunday do Sunday morning as they should be. That is the perfect time to watch night of the living dead is on Sunday morning. I have done it. I can recommend it. It's great. <laughs> and they are the, the kids and I'm going to look the kids up cause I don't want to mess up anyone's names. So the daughters are in the uh, episode are of course, Ariel, Bridget and uh, Marie. So pretty much it's Marie and Bridget who are watching night of the living dead. And, it, and I think uh, Bridget says that the, the TV channel's doing an, an old zombie marathon in the lead-up to uh, Halloween. Although there was a cute little reference when Jake Webber kind of mentions, uh, I hope they're not going to be showing the one where they're trapped no, in a mall. He, which says, of course... he goes, Night of the Living Dead, we're watching, we're watching Night of the Living Dead. He goes, oh, is that the one where they're trapped in a mall? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> Also, so, and, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a little reference to the whole zombie, um, uh, the Romero zombie verse, I guess you could say. Oh, yeah, definitely. But also, uh, Jake Webber was actually in the remake of Dawn of the Dead oh, as shit. well. Still need to see that. I, re- I have never seen the oh, remake of Dawn of the Dead. It's you've never seen. I need to. Wha- yeah. You've never seen the remake of Dawn of the Dead. No, uh, when it came out, I did not like zombies and refused to watch any zombie movie uh, until 
Actually, thank you, Joy Exploitation, because I would never have watched a zombie movie if it wasn't for Joy Exploitation <laughs> uh, back, back about 10 years ago now. But, yeah, so I need to go back to it. I know it's got Jane Levy. It's meant to be very good. It's written by James Gunn. So I need to get onto that. But the fact that he does a little nod to the movie he was in is quite cute. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And I, I picked that up right away as soon as he said it. I just had a good laugh when I heard that. But I, I will definitely say definitely check out Daughter, the Daughter of the Dead remake. It's a... To me, it's up there with, like, The Fly and The Thing is the one of the best horror remakes. Wow, that's high price, especially with those two movies. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, it is top-quality stuff. And Jake Weber is great in it as well. I think that might have been the first thing I ever saw him in was that film. Uh, he's always been th- that guy actor for me. I can't remember when oh, yeah. I've seen him, but I just know he just pops up in a lot of things, so... Oh yeah, definitely. It was he's pretty much the same for me as well, like these days, because I mean I know Medium was like his first big high profile role after the Daughter Dead remake, but I know he's popped up in other films and TV shows uh since then. Like I know he was in the film Wendigo with uh, Patricia Clarkson and a few others. Oh he was so, too, yes. <laughs> yeah, I he played the husband in that as yes, well. He did. So yes. he, he he plays the husband in a lot of things, I I decided to know. So hey, I did The husband role is usually pretty good. <laughs> definitely definitely but i did like like based on this episode i did like uh because he plays the role of joe so i actually i really like the relationship between him and allison i think they actually make a really nice couple and you can definitely tell that there's a good bit of chemistry between patricia arquette and jake weber as well no i like it he does play her poor suffering husband but it's kind of nice for him to be the what would usually be the wife character, I guess, the mm. one who's always supportive and who always who will stay up. Just when though, I did, I could, I couldn't help giggling uh, when he goes, "No, you go to sleep, I'll stay up." I'm like, "Oh man, is the bed gonna eat him now?" Like, are we? <laughs> As I said, I could not get over the whole Nightmare on Elm Street thing because, yeah, she is getting injuries. Um, I do like the fact that they also work it in because the main the person who was murdered died in a graveyard. Yep. And they do do the whole thing with the schizophrenic drug addicts that he's walking around like a zombie and he's in the dream and all that kind of thing. So I do like how they maneuver in the fact it's it, it's not completely out of nowhere. They do lay all the groundwork to make to, so it made sense that she's dreaming about Night of the Living Dead. Oh, definitely, definitely. And also it's kind of interesting, like, as as we sort of stated before, when the footage of Night of the Living Dead is woven into the episode, particularly with these dream sequences. It starts off with the actual footage at the beginning, and I like that at least that everyone involved with the show went out of their way to make at least all the shots look very similar to how they were done in the original film, but also just the just the, just the, the attention to detail for certain things. Like once uh, Allison gets to the farmhouse, the layout of it looks very similar to how it was. And in she's the holding film the, as well. the lace doily that she does and that she mm. is as well. She's constantly fiddling, fiddling with it. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, they do kind of change some things up as well. Like they do have shots of the zombies from the original film coming to the house and whatnot. But also when she's in the house, she does meet Joe and her daughters, but of course they're playing other people. So they're not playing their, themselves they're playing other characters this is a question how did you feel that um jake weber is playing dale Uh, especially this this is only important because we are doing this with a version of night of the living dead where it's all about the race elements and Mm. racism and prejudice which is what the original movie is definitely working with whether george romero wants to admit it or not 
And in this one, Dale is playing is being played by her husband, which takes away the race element hmm. completely. Because when at the beginning, when spoilers, the murderer who's trying to cover her tracks is sort of saying, "Yes, my father was disappointed in how the neighborhood turned with the gangs and the drugs." I'm like, "Oh, was he? Is he going to be like an old racist or something?" And they don't touch on it at all. Like she was using very coded yeah. language, and then they never went through with it. So I, I'm wondering how how did you feel about that? Since well, I guess um... that is such an important part of the original, and yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, like I, well, I think it should sort of uh, sort of be stated that uh, Jake Weber's the character he plays within Allison's Dream isn't the Ben character. It's no. a completely different character. So his name's Dale in this version. So I think if it was Joe playing the Ben character, maybe I would probably have a little bit more of an issue with it. But seeing that it's a completely different character, and all the daughters are also playing completely different characters as well. Even the uh, the murder victim in the real world, the the mortician, he's in the dream as well, but he's not playing any of the other characters either. No, yeah. So, so I guess that it didn't bother me too much in that regard, but I could definitely see your point. But I think with this through the daughter, and I guess we have to spoil this, uh, the mortician's daughter did who also <laughs> did it. She and to be honest. It was so obvious from the very beginning. Oh, I mean, if you've seen the procedural, as soon as she's ranting it, you're like, oh, she did it. Oh, red herring. No, it was the daughter. They'll fight. Yep, yep, that guy's not the guy. And then they do the whole sit down where they lay everything out and then she confesses. I'm like, I love this structure. It's just so comforting. I thought it like it would be a little bit more clever with like its reveals, but oh, it's the sixth season. But... They are throwing, they are doing like Night of the Living Dead references. They are throwing things at the wall. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. This is around the point in the show where the show maybe have already kind of jumped the shark, and we were like, you know what, we're just going to go batshit insane with this I mean, episode. The the Bridget, the middle daughter Bridget's having a whole thing with the ghost tarantula. So yeah, this yes. there's it, there's a, there's a lot happening, and I think it's getting it, they it was cancelled after the seventh season. So I am thinking that this was probably you can always tell when a show started. Even though I think this is a great episode, I think it's really clever. I think it's really um all that, but you can kind of tell that they are starting to throw things at the wall. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Like I, I, I was about to bring up the whole ghost tarantula subplot. <laughs> I love it so much. I was actually more into the ghost tarantula than I was the A plot. <laughs> well, I guess for context for our listeners, uh, so there is a subplot where uh, Alice's daughter Bridget is looking after the class pet, which just happens to be a tarantula. Unfortunately, the tarantula dies. So Bridget is like going back and forth whether she should tell the teacher that might be that her fault. What, yeah, that it might be her fault. But every now and again, she sees a tarantula. Now, I had to look this up just so I could find out the context, but based on what I've read of the, the daughter characters, uh, it does say in like a lot of the uh, biographies and that, that Allison's daughters do happen to have a bits of her gift mm. as well. So yeah, so Bridget does have the gift. Instead of to see uh, dead people, she sees dead bugs. Um. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. There's this one scene where she's talking to a teacher and then there's a tarantula coming out of her mouth. And I don't know if that was a puppet, but they are not in 2009 when this was being... Yeah. They're not doing... It didn't look like CGI. It looked like something was coming out of her mouth. And I'm like, oh, man, that poor actor. I don't think it was... <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is like Candyman and poor... Um, 
um, oh, what's Tony, his name? Tony, uh, Tony, Tony Todd. Todd. Tony Todd had actual bees in his mouth. Like, I don't think she had a transfer in the mouth, but there was something coming out of her mouth. That was actually, I actually enjoyed that shot a lot because it wigged me out. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think if you're afraid of spiders, that's definitely a, a shot. That I'm more scared of tarantulas, and they're harmless. They're apparently little cuddle, bu- cuddle bunnies, but I no, I can't. I can't do it. Yeah, so I guess, uh, <laughs> again, to spoil this part of the episode. So we, why spoiling is Bridget, everything. <laughs> like, why is Bridget being hounded by a ghost tarantula? <laughs> Which sounds like an awesome name for a heavy metal band. A ghost, ghost tarantula, yes. There has to be a heavy, med- a, de- a heavy metal band called Ghost Tarantula. Just please. Well, well we find out that uh, the ghost tarantula has actually been sending messages by appearing to Bridget by leading Bridget back to where the little enclosure is. Because basically the teacher said, you know what, just get rid of the enclosure. We kind of don't need it and all that. And then once Bridget, like the the spider, motions to go to (laughs) the enclosure, we find out there's actually a nest of baby tarantula eggs. Yes, a little cotton thing. And I was like, oh, no, that's going to have so many tarantulas. But the teacher's going to pick it up and take it to a pet store so they can all find good homes. So that is nice. It has a happy ending for for the baby tarantulas. But it is um, it doesn't feel weird when you're watching it, but when you're actually stating what the plot is, it feels very it feels bonkers. <laughs> oh yeah, like I, I was only just thinking that just now. It's like I'm watching this episode. I'm like, yeah, I'm really enjoying this episode. But if I now talking about it out loud, it's like this. Ep- this is one crazy episode. It's weird, but you don't because it's done in such a um normal police procedural structure where it hits mm. all the beats that you need it to like the red herrings and they're going over here and um everything like that it doesn't but when you actually say what's happening in the in the episode out loud it's like wow that was actually really weird that's a weird that was a weird it's a weird episode <laughs> i think given that this was a halloween episode i could give a kind of leeway to kind of go a little you, bit crazy with its episode want that with from a halloween episode Oh yeah, like in the, like you kind of know what you're expecting when you have Elvira pop up for like yes. a quick cameo for no reason. Uh, and mind you, she's meant to be Allison in this little cameo, like in a dream sequence, because the whole episode dr- talks about is kind of a voiceover uh, with Allison kind of talking about dreams and remembering reading an essay in college about dreams, and then of course she wakes up and she's Elvira, and it is. Elvira herself in this yes. little cameo. I mean, the whole point is that if you die in your dreams, does that mean you die in real life? Which mm. is such an Elm Street idea of your dreams are meant to be where you are free. And because in my dreams, I'm bad and beautiful. Uh, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Um, <laughs> it's You're meant to be free. You're meant to be able to do whatever you want. But if you die in your dream, there's always that urban legend that you do, do in fact, die in real life. And mm. the whole thing is that if she's starting to, hurt, if she's getting hurt uh, outside of her dreams or she's hurting herself, then does that mean that she could be, if she can actually get hurt, does that mean she can actually die? Even though the t- the show structured that you never actually ever think she's actually going to be ever any kind of danger. And this is great scene where her and her husband are saying, well, you need to sleep. She's like, I don't want to sleep. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's, it's i'm sorry this is what happened to alice she didn't die in four in fact she she went on to become a police psychic and is now solving murders that that is what actually happened to alice from dream warriors <laughs> well now that we think about it because her name yeah her name was alice in uh 
in Elm Street 3, yeah. so why can't it be short for Allison? So, you know what? I, I, I like this idea for headcanon, that the Allison in this TV show is Alice from Elm Street. It all makes sense now. Yes, it really does. I know she was meant to die in 4. She didn't. <laughs> it, it was a different actress. A different she actress. was a witness... She was in uh, witness protection. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of other things about this episode that I enjoyed, but I, I think you're right at the end of the day. Even though, yes, Night of the Living Dead is a part of this episode, like they use footage, uh, they incorporate it into the dream. So uh, Allison is, of course, interacting with other characters from the movie or with the zombies, or if they just redo scenes themselves and i gotta say though like even with these the new footage that they create for these dreams like i said the filmmakers i got to applaud because they really go out of their way to kind of make sure that it really matches up with the original film in the way on how it's shot yes also just the lighting as well and also making it black and white too yeah but even the black and white feels like the original movie Mm. it actually feels like the type of black and white stock kind of film that they were using when they shot the original Night of the Living Dead. And it doesn't feel like we, I know we can go get the 4K and we can have it looking at the most perfect it can ever, ever look, but this kind of looks like the grainy one you would actually be watching on TV in the mid-2000s during a Halloween marathon that a TV oh, yes. station would be playing. I think that's really cool that they kind of kept that kind of consistency throughout. They couldn't, they didn't have to do that, but they did. And it makes those effects way better than it would otherwise. Oh yeah, definitely. And also kind of showing that they did their homework in terms of recreating the look of the original film, but kind of also showing that they have a lot of love of the film and and the passion for it really shines in these sections. And also like, you know, because like, you don't really hear Patricia Arquette really talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 3 that much. I, I don't think she days. wants to. Yeah, I think I won an yeah. Oscar, goddammit. I'm an Academy Award yeah. winner. I've won Emmys. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And I can understand that, but at least I can take solace in the fact that basically this episode has a lot of references to Elm Street in it. Like, I think she was fully aware. So at least in some way that there's a part of me that thinks, you know what? She's kind of embracing it a little bit more for this episode. Yeah, that's kind of why I wish at the end of the day it wasn't more of an Elm Street episode, that she actually Mm. got to sort of talk to a Freddy, actually got to talk to Robert England again. I think that would have been absolutely amazing. And anyone who, of course, would have known Dream Warriors would have gone, oh, shit, this is Dream Warriors. And I think that would have been very cool. Because if they were doing it today, I think, well, I actually know because New Line keep the uh, Elm Street series under lock and key. No one is allowed to touch that. So I don't know how easy it would have actually would have been if you're doing it today either, but it would have, it's a nice idea. But again, I can imagine that if you're Patricia Arquette and you want to kind of, there's a, the sector that will not forget your first kind of major film performance. And you're just like going, guys, I've done other things. I'm like, I've worked with Scorsese. I've worked with all these kind of people. I am an actor. And everyone's like going, yeah, but nightmare. And you're like, Oh, Gosh, it was the one thing I did for a job when I was like 21. You're like, yeah, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised that this is kind of a way kind of to appease Nightmare fans by making this episode and kind of having all those references in there without it being directly saying, oh, a Nightmare on Elm Street. 
But yeah, but that kind of even when I was like going, wait, she's about she's a person called Allison who has dreams and solves murders. I really, it's a little close. <laughs> it's almost kind of line for line, even like in the scenes where where Joe was says, "All right, you go sleep for a few hours, and if there's any sign of trouble, I'll wake you up and stuff like that." And, yeah, you know, it's it's very a resentment of the Elm Street films in that regard. That's why I think there was a first episode of this film that was not actually Night of the Living Dead. They did actually do that stuff really well. I've got a sneaking suspicion the first pitch was, "Hey, let's put uh, Patricia back in a nightmare and nightmare a nightmare on Elm Street episode," because it was because that one is. The, hey, what if you did get murdered in your dreams and you never woke up again? That is kind of the premise of of Freddy and Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I guess, I mean, I can't speak for, like, the real reason why that is. Like, I, I wouldn't no, be surprised. Pure speculation that I want it to be real. Like, pretty much everything for me is pure speculation. But I could definitely see that it would have been originally starting off to be a Nightmare on Elm Street pitch. But either, like... I can see Patricia Arquette kind of shooting the idea down. Yes, yeah. Or they couldn't get the rights to Freddy. Although it would happen a couple of years later because I know the Goldbergs managed to get Robert Englund to reprise Freddy in their Halloween episode. Oh, that is so cool. I haven't seen a lot of the Goldbergs. Uh, yeah, because I because all I can think about is how in It Chapter 1, the most perfect, and it was New Line, so they could have done it, and it was 1989, um dream child came out in 1989 uh they they in fact have it on the marquee to have richie encounter freddie which would yeah. be true to the books because uh, in the book richie encounters uh i think a mummy no was a uh i, I think it was a werewolf, from, werewolf? i was yeah, a teenage werewolf, werewolf, werewolf yeah for which was an actual yeah. movie from the 1950s yeah so they could have done it and i was so excited like oh my god they're gonna do robert england as freddie is this are they can do like a freddie type character and they never did and mm. I was sad, but it may, <laughs> I think it would have pulled me out. I mean, it would have pulled me out of the movie because I would have gone, shit, there's Freddy when I'm really meant to be um, focusing on Pennywise. So I can kind of understand why they didn't. I totally lost track. I, I pulled us off track on this episode by insisting <laughs> talking about another franchise. Well, I kind of like the fact that this is a Night of the Living Dead podcast that we spent most of it talking about. <laughs> yes, and I keep the one who kept doing it. You're the one who kept going back to um, Night of the Living Dead, but I'm like, but you know, Elm well, Street. Yeah, well, to be fair, though, uh, <laughs> there, is a, it, there is a bit more of the Elm Street influence than it is the Nightmare stuff. The Nightmare stuff is kind of more aesthetic within the dream sequence yes and it's all about her leading her toward figuring out that it was in fact the daughter who i could have told you in the first scene murdered her father because he found out that she was in fact selling embalming fluid to crackheads which yeah that's that's, a- that was <laughs> so basically her the reason why she killed her dad now basically like what you were saying before about the language that she used like oh, he wasn't popular with the gangs and stuff and all that. But he seemed like a very more upstanding guy than being like a racist or uh, She was trying to maneuver that that it was the gangs and the drug dealers and the the drug addicts that killed him, not her. But because I had watched um, Attack of the Karens first, I think I think I had that in my head, which is why (laughs) I made that assumption. Yeah, and also like, uh, so basically from the episode, from what I remember, the the mortuary it, w- it was losing money so she decided to basically start up a, a she decided to start making drugs with the help of embalming fluid because there's certain ingredients in there that helpfully on the can make. on on the can yes. of it had 
all the drugs, all the drugs in there. Yep, and uh, so she started making it. Her dad found out and was going to call the police on her, and so uh, she killed him. But of course, like uh, how Allison kind of starts to put it all together is that when she meets the daughter, played by uh, Adia Totoro, is that she also has very similar scratches up her arm, similar to what Allison got from the dream, and also a similar. And- she gets a similar burn that she will get as well. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, that's how we, I mean, we already knew it was going to be her anyway, so it's not really that much of a shock, but I did find it pretty clever in how they kind of did that with the dreams and how it kind of, how Allison just is able to find out who did it. I thought it was pretty, at least clever in that regard and using Night of the Living Dead and the kind of Elm Street influences to kind of uh, solve the mystery. Yeah, and I do like the fact that, as you mentioned before, it's all from the fact that their daughters were watching it at the beginning. So there is some context about why she is actually dreaming about uh, Night of the Living Dead. Because even she says mm. in the first time she's dreamt, she's like, why am I dreaming about Night of the Living Dead? Like, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it also seems like every time they go back to the TV, it's like it's still showing Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that a thing that happens in America? They'll just go, oh, it's a marathon up to, to Halloween, but it's just really just every second movie is just Night of the Living Dead, Night of the, like at Christmas, like because uh, It's a Wonderful Life was also went into public domain. So they would just play that constantly on a loop up to Christmas. What? Well, not only that, because I remember like a couple of years ago on one of the pay TV channels, I believe on New Year's Day, they displayed the Blues Brothers nonstop back to back for 24 hours straight. Actually, that's kind of a cool 24 hours. Uh, I don't know if I could watch Blues Brothers for 24 hours, but I definitely watched that movie a couple of times. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, I guess that could be a wrap on this conversation of the Medium episode, Bite Me. So, Lindsay, what are your final thoughts on this episode? Uh, look, I, I liked it. I mean, it's kind of silly. It's kind of dopey. But it is really relaxing. There is something just about a crime procedural where you already know the end game. It's not about what's happening. It's just about getting to that end point and some of the daft characters that you'll just meet along the way. And, uh, yeah, no. It's not a bad 44 minutes worth of your time. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like, even though I've seen the odd episode here and there, I actually quite enjoyed myself a lot watching the episode. Yes, it is very silly. It's very cheesy at times. It's so predictable as well. Like, you figured out who the killer is as soon as they pop up on screen. Because the episode doesn't do that well of a job to at least come up with more red herrings or other characters oh, who could possibly no, it cannot, be the uh, killer. Even not, it could not be bothered. Like the one episode I was watching was about, she was overheard someone getting with a sketch artist who was describing this man, but then she just saw a vision of the complete opposite. So it was her, about her manufacturing, like trying to get this guy in the system. And everyone was like, yeah, we know you're a psychic, but no one's going to believe that you're a psychic. I'm like, no, everyone in the show just instantly believes that she's a psychic. I mean, this is psychic mum with her psychic daughters. It's, it is, um, it's a very simple premise, but but it's Patricia Arquette that makes it work. Oh yeah, definitely, and I think she's definitely the key reason why the show was for a long time quite as successful mm-hmm. as it was because she brings a lot of sincerity to the role. She you really believe does her character. And, you know, she's a very strong character as well. And based, you know, someone who is dealing with her psychic abilities and also with being working with the police and also her family life and also dealing with the fact that her daughters may also have abilities as well. So there's definitely a lot there. But at the same time, she's a very smart character. She knows what she's doing. 
like seeing her as she's working her abilities throughout this episode was a lot of fun. And of course, you know, being that it's having Night and the Living Dead involved and doing it in a really interesting and clever way was actually a lot of fun, while also subtly, maybe not too subtly, but uh, having those Elm Street influences. In yes, though I will say, even though her husband is playing a different character to Ben and he is a Dale, he is still wearing Ben's cardigan. So, Well, that is true. Yeah, I mean, he's meant to be a different character, but he's dressed exactly like Ben. And that's why I just went, I know it's a different name, but this is, mm, I'm not sure I feel about that. But it is <laughs> not about that. It is it is taking on a whole set of different themes about trying to protect your family, trying to self save yourself, um, and trying to solve a murder. Um, it We're going to get into the next one, which is, much more heavy on theme, but uh, this one was oh, yeah. not interested in that. I mean, this was Primetime America in 2010. They were not going to be dealing with uh, Black Lives Matter uh, <laughs> in 2010. Definitely. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it overall, and I, and I love a good Halloween special, so this was always going to be like Halloween and Christmas anyway. specials are the best. I love those. Any In any sitcom, <laughs> give me the Halloween, give me the, um, give me the Christmas specials. And also, uh, to kind of, before we move on to the next episode, uh, it ends on a really perfect note where Allison and her family are about to go off trick-or-treating. Night of the Living Dead is still playing on the TV, and as she's turned her back, she hears Johnny call, they're coming to get you, Allison. And then she goes back, rewinds the movie, and of course hears him say, they're coming to get you, Barbara. And she's like, yeah, that's what I thought I heard. And then she walks off. So I thought that was a fun way to end the episode. Yes, but, and um, she's dressed as Wicked the Witch of the West, which is adorable. Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess that we can move along to our next episode, or our next Night of the Living Dead themed episode, which is episode eight from season one of the TV show Cinema Toast, which is entitled Attack of the Carrots. We are seeing unusual behavior from Caucasian mm. folks from the United Caucasians, States. Caucasians, you say? Yeah, I tried to tell them about them Caucasus Mountains. From the asteroid. Asteroids. An radioactive haze is moving at a fast pace, reaching Westchester by noon today. Take cover, especially in the suburbs, where there are high numbers of Caucasians congregating. Replenish your sundries and return home. Some witnesses have cited cannibalism being involved. What the fuck does that mean? Hey. Who said that? Oh, God. Oh, man. What the fuck? Hey, unbelievable. Wait, who's this clown? Oh, my God. Hey, man, stop. This ain't your car. Damn, you look fucked up, you ashy ass motherfucker. Hey, get back. Oh, my God. Man, what the hell are you doing, man? You're a lunatic. Wait, aren't you the mayor? Hey, my guy, what the fuck? Hey, you smelly ass freak, where you going? Fucked up my car. I just got this. It ain't even gonna start. Fuck you, Carl. I'm not voting for your ass next year. Man, I'm gonna get home now. Now, for those out there who don't know of the show Cinema Toast, it was created by Jeff Boehner, who, of course, was the writer and director of the film Life After Beth. <laughs> oh, I know that show, yes. Oh, well, movie, I should say. With, oh, yeah, uh, all that. With, with Audrey Plaza playing a zombie in it. And they're also husband and wife in real life as well. So, And of course, uh, the episode, which I am reading off once again of IMDb, is an experimental new series from an eclectic group of celebrated indie filmmakers who've re-edited and re-scored footage from public domain films and overdubbed them with performances of contemporary actors 
to tell new, wholly original stories. This episode of the show, Attack of the Karens, was written and directed by Marta Cunningham and features the voices of Marcus Henderson, Marianne Radon, Nija Okoro, Juanita Jennings, Boris Williams, Michael Sherness, Sean Polosky, and Robin Atkin Downs. And if I butchered anyone's names, please forgive me. Uh, the plot summary for this one is a horde of terrifying zombies are reimagined as a group of suburban women with a long list of complaints. <laughs> and men. They they specifically yes. put Carl's in there as well. So uh, this exactly. is not just. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like I've heard of Cinema Toast for a little while now. I remember it might have been Marcy who mentioned this show to me or it might have been someone else. I can't remember. They sort of pointed out, oh, babe, there's this new show coming out. You should check it out. It's called Cinema Toast. I sort of, I'd never heard of it, but I read up on it. I thought, okay, it sounds pretty interesting. So it's essentially a show where uh, a group of filmmakers take public domain films, re-edit them together and create their own stories and have well-known actors come in to voice the characters. So that's a pretty interesting idea. We kind of seen that before in other shows, but it's kind of done in a very interesting way in this episode. So Attack of the Carrots, this is my first, this episode is the first time I've seen the show. So I've never actually watched any of the other episodes other than this one, because I know for a fact that Night of the Living Dead plays a huge part in this episode, because not only is the footage, a lot of the footage from that film is incorporated into this episode, but of course, you know, footage from other public domain films are also added in there to kind of flesh out the type of story they wanted to say but the question is though was it a good episode so Lindsay, what are your thoughts on the episode attack of the karens from cinema toast well i'd never heard of cinema toast before until you told me that this is what we're doing and i said yeah okay i know medium but i don't know what cinema toast is and uh as someone who works in retail i definitely have come across a couple of karens in my time um, no, I thought this was really interesting uh, because I've done two other episodes about the dubbing of Night of the Living Dead. This is mm. kind of what I think a good dubbing is. It's mm. taking the material, bringing out the original themes, kind of mixing it up and making something different. And I like the fact that they mixed a couple of different uh, films in this one. It's just not just Night of the Living Dead. And also they cut around certain things so they could get what they wanted instead of having what's his name who now i only can think of as a california boy uh and his girlfriend uh, who get blown oh, uh, tom, oh tom and judy tom and judy or um a couple of they don't even um i mean you don't even have barbara in this because yeah. so it's and it's really sort of weirdly cut around but that's kind of what i thought a dubbing should be it is kind of taking a movie cutting it up into like a scrapbook kind of collage and kind of making something completely different out of it that has a different context different themes and it's definitely very modern i mean you can tell this was sort of made in the 2020s from what it's talking about and talking about a virus in a very particular way that you could only talk about after 2020 as well so i think i think that is i think it's a fascinating i don't know if it completely works but i think it's absolutely fascinating piece of a little 30 minute 20 minute thing oh yeah definitely and uh, i forgot to mention this before that uh the uh, the series uh was released in 2021. So this is definitely was a show that came out post uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and also coronavirus. while the pandemic, yeah, the you coronavirus could make this was during, You could easily make this during the pandemic. This is something that, this is a pandemic project, absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that as well, because that was kind of one of the things that struck me the most about this episode was, even though, yes, it's going for laughs, they definitely have a lot of interesting topical things that they wanted to talk about in this episode. And I think using Neither the Living Dead and other public domain films to kind of have it that sort of 60s feel yes. throughout the episode, like pretty much the the, the plot is basically the, the Ben character from Night of the Living Dead, who's now renamed as Malik, Malik Freeman, I should say. So he and his family have moved into a white suburban neighborhood, which just happens to have a lot of women named Karen, and also like there's either Karen, Karen Smith with a C, or Karen we must be White. polite. <laughs> exactly, and uh, so of course they kind of at first when they meet him, they think, "Oh, he's the handyman," and so no, I'm I've moved into the neighborhood. My wife Tanya is the new school teacher, and my mother has lived in this neighborhood for years. And of course they kind of talked out on him being that he is African-American while all this is going on. And of course, you know, it's an interesting look at race and class as well. Especially but in, then of course, uh, it's taking things the, of yeah. um, what was known as the white flight from the cities um, into the suburbs, well, but was meant to be this haven of uh, no people of color ever coming in to destroy this thing because they were all living and they refer to the city as a jungle. So they're being incredibly racist even before this like thing happens. Like it's like, oh, it's turned... Um, people racist no it's like two people who are already racist into just raving lunatics and yeah it's kind of very much i mean there's a little bit of that even that the living dead at the end so it's bringing up these kind of 50s 60s issues um within the science fiction um framework sorry Andrew. oh yeah def- oh that's all right um yeah and and also while doing that like even at one point when they said oh yeah we got the like one of the karens is talking to one of the other karens on the phone and basically, it's oh yeah, this new family's coming. Their names are the Freemans. It's like oh, that's a weird name. Yeah, uh, it must be an Anglo-Saxon name. So they assume that the family is white until, of course, they actually meet the character of Malik when he comes by to visit. So after that kind of run in with them, we kind of find out through a news broadcast that an asteroid has landed into the ocean somewhere near Cuba, and like this radioactive haze has started to radiate from the asteroid, and every white person it it comes in contact with turns them into Karens or Carls. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) and then uh, as uh, Malik is driving away, he he runs into the Carls, and he crashes his car, and then eventually he goes to the farmhouse, and like you said before, like Barbara's not in in any of the footage. Neither is Johnny. Neither is Tom and Judy. However, it's really kind of Ben and also the Cooper family, who yes. are the only characters from the film who are in this one. I thought it was a really funny way of basically this <laughs> this radioactive haze. It, it turns people who are kind of slightly racist into full blown Karens and Carls. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a Black Lives Matter because one of the things that the Karens and Carls keep saying is when they're hoarding around as zombies, it's like, all lives matter. Um, which is like, yeah, duh. Like, it's that's not... Anyway. But, it, yeah, it's this, this kind of amazing kind of thing. And it did kind of feel like that during the pandemic that everyone got sick. But then all of a sudden, if you were slightly racist, you just started venting out all the most vile crap that yep. you can possibly imagine like the, the mask slipped a little bit and you saw for what they what they actually were and I think that is a really interesting thing and 
Yeah, and then it's really referencing the pandemic. It's really referencing Black Lives Matter and the protests. George Floyd, even though they don't mention him by name, and the fact that they're taking it back to the 1960s is, of course, incredibly relevant because that's when America was going through it again. Oh, for, not for the first time, but just again. And yeah, so it's um, the premise is really clever and there are some really funny moments in it. I think it, it loses its humor because it is such a bad, such a serious topic, but then you'll have like the um, Karens and the Carls like mumbling racist slurs and you're just like, oh, oh we're just kind of doing these typical Karen and Carl things. Yeah, They always like have a complaint. The, they always have a complaint. Yeah, like a lot of them, like I had to write down a few of the things that I said. Some of them are like, I'm going to call the police and drain the swamp. And... Oh, yes. I'm <laughs> uh, going to build a wall. I think I heard one. Um, actually, that reminds me of my favorite um, Barbie joke. Sorry. Once they figure out how to build a cross, uh, we're in trouble. <laughs> You've just got these cans just <laughs> piling brick on brick on top of each other. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's this really cool kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, I want to speak to the manager. I think I heard mumbled a couple of times. I know my rights. Oh, yeah, I think I heard that too. Yeah, yeah. where's your ID? Um, I'm making a citizen's arrest. It's all this bullshit that we've seen go viral over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. And I think it really kind of surprisingly kind of captures all that entire period so well in its 30-minute timeline. Like, having basically be the radioactive A's, be kind of the subtextual element of the pandemic, as as you stated before, like, as we saw during that entire time, whether it be on the news, there was always basically someone spouting racist, or anti-lockdown type of jargon yeah. throughout all of it. And also, Karen's kind of went on the warpath throughout that they entire time. They wanted think, to yes. see your idea and wanted to know how long you've lived there. Like, I, Karen is not a specific thing. I think it turned that into America, but if you've ever worked in retail, you have met a Karen. You have met multiple Karens. Oh, yeah. And you can see them coming with their goddamn, I want to talk to the manager haircut. Like, there's a certain kind of um, woman or man who come in and you just know they're going to be a pain in the ass. And oh yeah, um, this is it. And then they just suddenly just got very forthright because suddenly people who could who were not meant to tell them what to do were suddenly telling them what to do. And they did not handle it at all well. Like I still have a few people who we told that you have to wear a mask in the store and everything like that who still come in pretending like everything's fine when they went batshit crazy at us. And we're still looking at them going, Oh, you think we've forgotten that? You've forgotten what you were, what you said to us about certain immigrants who are coming into the country in, in 2020? Oh, you, oh, you just pretending like this never happened. Oh, yeah, uh, we do. Yeah, that, that's kind of like maybe even with people on like Facebook, like people yeah. who, family or friends who I knew who spouted crap like that, whether it be racist or about the pandemic or anything like that. And like in recent times, they're back to normal, but there's always that thing in the back of my mind. It's like, I know exactly what type of person you are. You may be quiet down on that now, but I will not forget. <laughs> no, I saw the mask come off and it was a fascinating yeah. moment to to watch. But this is kind of what this is capturing. And if you were a person of color, it was just 10 times worse because you saw all those videos of women just demanding their ID. And you're just like, what is happening? Like, I don't understand, like, yeah, I mean, did you ever see, it was a Netflix specials that were like the end of the year roundups and it was like a comedy thing, like they had like everyone in them. Um, oh, um, was it like, 
Was it the Charlie Booker ones, like a uh, death of two thousand? Yes, yeah. Twenty. I, I mean, I didn't see them, but I knew of them though. Like yeah. I haven't got around to seeing them yet. Yeah, there's a great one where they do actually have a Karen character, and she is. Uh, she was in. Um, oh, what's the time loop one with Andy Samberg movie? Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. But I can't think of her anyway, name. Anyway, I can't think of the but name. I'll have to look it but up. if I've said that movie, you know who I'm talking about. Christine, someone. Uh, she plays yep. the Karen and she sort of starts off as just like this very like nice and helpful um, housewife. And all of a sudden she starts spouting this ridiculous, like she's like, says, oh no, I'm totally asking for any color, uh, black person I see in the neighborhood. I'm totally um, like asking for their ID. And then before, you know, she's like going into hospitals asking if that's, if that's their dilator. <laughs> their kidneys <laughs> trying to take it away. It's, it's ridiculous, but it was getting to that stage. It was, um, like these people who kind of had this false sense of, oh, I'm in charge because I get to go in and boss people around, suddenly lost it and they just went berserk. It was, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't, I say fascinating now. It was uh, during the time and I only got a tiny amount of it, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of interesting, like how this episode kind of addresses all that because like, and especially in a span of 30 minutes, like they did it in a way that was, very thought-provoking but at the same time it was also quite entertaining as well like there is a lot of humor thrown throughout the episode but i think one of the things that i was really struck by this episode was like i said it before like a lot of the characters from the original night of the living dead film aren't in it but i found it really interesting how they sort of edited the footage from the film that was amazing. and how they sort of weave those, how they weave those characters out. Yes. more. Footage. I mean, the first thing when you see uh, Dwayne Johnson, no. Um, oh, uh, Dwayne Jones. Dwayne Jones. Sorry, uh, I just Dwayne almost Jones. called him The Rock. Um, I apologize, <laughs> Dwayne Jones. When he's, you see him edited and he's kind of giving this sort of narrating of like, you know, it was a crazy time. This is kind of what happens, you know, why do we move into this neighborhood? And then he's kind of talking to these characters from a completely different film and they're never in the same shot, but just the way it's edited, it looks like there's a to and fro happening. And then once you get into the farmhouse, it's, yeah, the way they just cut Barbara out and um, Tom and Judy is absolutely fascinating for purposes of this story that they're trying to tell with Night of the Living Dead, they don't they don't need them. I mean, having too many characters, especially because of the fact it is about this black man who's basically in this very white world who is now out to get him. Like, there is no mincing around. So you don't really need too many other characters in the house. All you need is the Coopers. And I think that is kind of perfect. And also the interesting thing, and this is kind of a funny thing, it's like, this uh, radioactive haze, it only affects white people, so anyone who's African-American is safe from it. And pretty much the new, on the new, as they're watching the news broadcast, it pretty much says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, so it's basically, you know, uh, the haze seems to only affect white people, so all black people, please stay inside. And then, like, it shows Ben just looking at the Coopers, like, too late for that. Yes. <laughs> Which made me... Which did make me laugh when that when that happened. <laughs> yeah, because when you find out that uh, the Mr. Cooper, who I think is actually called Carl in the original, isn't he? Yeah, uh, uh, the actor who played Harry Cooper in the original Harry film Cooper. was named Carl. That's yeah, Carl, yeah, Carl Hartman. Yeah, and yes. also spelled exactly the same too, K A R L. I thought that was kind of adorable. So when he comes up, it's more about it changes the context of what's happening in the movie because in the original movie is that you find out that there's people in the basement, but they're having an argument of which is the best way to survive the zombie apocalypse. Now it's like, oh shit, there's a white guy in the basement. It completely changes 
what is actually happening and also mm. changes to how when the daughter kills her mother i love the line oh well, i shouldn't let the, your father take you to those rallies <laughs> <laughs> oh that was pretty that did make me laugh as well and also like i love how basically the kind of keep in with the helen character in other versions of this story is that basically from the very beginning to right up to the end she is just fed up with uh harry shit and <laughs> she mostly is in every single dubbing we've had she is just fed up with harry and she's just like whatever and in this one it actually has more context for that running in i think they just did it mm. without editing it so it was just a, like a funny joke but this one actually is oh my god i've married a racist jesus christ it kind of um <laughs> it's it's actually fed into the context which is the other ones didn't want to mess with it and they just changed the voices, but that didn't change much. But this one, because they are playing around with the editing, they're actually changing the context of the movie and actually bringing out the themes of Night of the Living Dead. But I also think what's interesting too, and because we talked about this on uh, Night of the British Dead and also all the way back when we talked about uh, Night of the Day of the Dawn. Oh, yeah. Like I, I did say like on the episode when we did talk about like our last episode together... I, I did say that uh, for me, like the perfect kind of dubbing of Night of the Living Dead would be one that's kind of in the middle of those two that kind of has the kind of more experimental feel of Night of the Day of the Dawn just yes. without all the really like problematic and edgelordy humor. And then, of course, um, Night of the British Dead, which has the dialogue being close to the original film, but to the point of where it basically just reuses the same dialogue yeah. again like it it would be cool if there was a dubbing that kind of had a mixture of the two and this episode from cinema toast kind of does that like and also for the fact that yes there is dubbing in the episode but the makers behind this episode or i should say even marta cunningham is more just like you know what the dialogue doesn't have to be in sync with the voices we could just put anything there anytime they talk hell we'll even put dialogue spoken when there's when no one's mouth is moving and it's not the biggest deal in the world you don't notice it because your brain is watching it realizing that they are using clips from night of the living dead but they're not being slavish to the material it's like going back to uh the medium episode when uh patricia Arquette is talking to johnny who's the character fully from the character from the movie and he's sort of talking about what is that line um the uh the uh, praying at a graveyards for church whatever that line is oh yeah like yeah pretty much like uh you know prayings for church and then of course he talks about the time when their grandfather was with them yeah he scared barbara and then of course the grand their grandfather says boy you'll be damned to hell like he's that dialogue is still there but of course like they out now allison was playing barbara like they rewrote the dialogue so that it way kind of matches like what Johnny is saying in the original footage, but at the same time giving us something new. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of giving that scene a slightly newer context, even though you recognize it and you know what the original kind of thing was, but then it's giving something new and this is what this is doing. Even though it's, um, I mean, every single one is its famous shot of after the car blows up and Ben just turns around to the light and there's a sort of gorgeous shot of you can kind of see the flames on his face. That shot is used yep. everywhere. It's a very famous part of the thing and they use it again here to great effect. Though they didn't quite explain how the who was driving the car when they were driving away. I was like, <laughs> hang on <Yeah>. a minute. <laughs> 
I, I was about to bring up the exact same thing because, like, since the other characters are not involved with uh, this version of the film, I'm thinking, like, who's driving the truck down? Yes! <laughs> that's the one thing. It's that's tr- one thing that pulled me out. This is perfect. And then I'm like, but wait, who's driving the truck? Like, that that's the one thing they screwed up on. But other than that, it's a great episode. <laughs> I suppose, like, they could have easily changed it around to make it look like either uh, Harry or Helen could have drove the truck, but then they would have to explain, like, did they die in the truck or how did they get back to the house? Yeah. I suppose this is one of those edit things where you kind of give them what you got and you just got to make the most of it when you're editing it all together. Because you can't really change the movie. All you can do is edit around it. Like, all those scenes where he's walking Mm. through the house and you know it's when he's actually talking to Barbara and he's nailing things to the to the doors and everything like that but it's done in a way that he's actually monologuing to himself because they've completely cut out the shots of Barbara like they've just changed the edit there's no going back to her which shows how vital um and important editing is to Mm. to the whole process because you you realize in the same room but actually it's just cutting from Ben to Barbara back to Barbara to Ben and they're able just to take those cuts and, and create something completely different. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I was also kind of surprised, like, how the episode stuck very close to the original plot structure yeah. of the original film. Except Ben does not it... die. Uh, no, sorry, it's not Ben. It's Malik does not die. Uh, they Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he does a whole uh, invasion of the body snatchers, wake up, wake up moment when you're just watching yeah, yeah. scenes of um, an Af- a black community kind of going about their day-to-day business and he's like saying you know the danger's always going to be there just because you think it's gone away from it it doesn't think it's gonna, not going to re-emerge in like two weeks yeah exactly and I actually did write down what he said at the uh, beginning as well so because I knew like the point that uh, the, the makers behind this show wanted to say with the themes that they were tackling with this episode they definitely put it in this final moment in the the episode like you say with all the footage and then of course it has uh malik who in the episode is voiced by marcus henderson and i will gotta say i think all the actors do a pretty good job with the vocal yeah they actually really do yeah and i like the fact that uh michael chernus who's an actor i've seen in a lot of films and tv shows like he voices the harry character although Harry and Helen aren't really named in this episode, so they're just known as man and woman in the credits. Um, <laughs> but I like the fact that Harry is kind of given this very kind of soft-spoken voice. Yeah, he really um, <laughs> has. And he's always hinting it's like, oh, the guns aren't working. Oh, the guns work on other things. What? Nothing. <laughs> like, you can kind of tell. I mean, in the original movie, um, Harry is kind of the boorish racist, I guess. Like, mm. he's he's that kind of character and so in this one they make him very kind of quiet spoken but it's that oh wait okay you're a racist okay got it (laughs) exactly exactly but uh, back to what i was saying before before i went off track then uh so basically the last line malik says at the end of the episode is i'm awake now don't sleep america wake the fuck up yes so it's very obvious like like i said the makers behind the show definitely had a message and they put it there at the very end of the episode. And I think it's a pretty good way to kind of end the ep- the, the whole episode on. Because up to this point, like, yeah, there's a lot of hilarious moments and a lot of cleverness and how uh, Night of the Living Dead and some of the other films are kind of edited together to kind of form this story. And using Karen's, Carl's and other elements to kind of 
kind of tackle what's been going on, what was going on in our world at the time with the Black Lives Matter movement and also the pandemic. Because I always keep forgetting that both these things happen at the exact same time. Yeah, it was just such a weird uh, soup of history that, no, the Black Lives, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement had been going on since like 2014, 2016, because mm. it's not like suddenly George Floyd was murdered and then everyone just suddenly went, hang on. But it had been happening a few times, but it really just hit its zenith. And it was probably because of the pandemic, because everyone is just so frustrated with what is happening in the world, with because suddenly your life just changed so very, very quickly. But that didn't. It was like, yep. oh, all our lives have had to change. But systemic racism and police brutality just keep going. And oh yeah, it was, and it just kind of exploded into this primordial rage because of that, I guess, people who felt justified to sort of say, well, you know, it was your ID, I know my rights, blah, 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 blah standing outside with a gun, um, protecting a fence. It kind of, it was this weird explosion that happened in the States, but it kind of had these ripple effects around the world. Yeah, especially here in Melbourne, because I remember because like a lot of the protests were happening yeah. in the city. And of course, this was around the time when lockdowns and everything were happening. And it, having all these, both these events happen at the same time, and even though this was only three years ago, like it, it feels like only yesterday. And I think this episode of Cinematose actually does a really good job at, even though it doesn't 100% directly talk about Black Lives Matter or the pandemic, it does it in an interesting way where it addresses it without, well, I guess, you know, kind of similar to and what George A. Romero would do. It would do. Like I mean, it, yeah. It's not being subtle, but at the same time, it's not saying like, oh, this is what it's about. Like yeah. you can easily pick up what it's about through uh, what the characters are saying or how the story is done. Yeah, I mean, Night of the Living Dead, where it came out in 1968. Is that right? Yeah, 1968. Yeah. yeah, so this was when Vietnam was coming to a crushing close. So they're screwed up there. You had all the anti-war protests, all the um, everything else that was happening in uh, Watergate was ramping up. All these kind of things were happening in this primordial rage and civil rights and why... It kind of all these things and then it kind of boils up into the soup that was night of the living dead and they are using language around what is happening they're never actually saying this is what it's about but they're just using the language around mm. it and this what this is what cinema toast does they're using all the phrases that we know that came from this very specific time but they are not specifically saying this nuclear kind of cloud haze is covid this is kind of and they're not using black lives matter either but you can tell because it's so recognizable to this point in time in 2020 where you're just like going, oh, I remember that. Like, I remember the protests yeah. happening in Melbourne. I remember the um, Black Lives Matter protests. I remember the anti-lockdown protests and riots. Actually, if you go to Melbourne, you're still going to see some anti-lockdown. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, now they're just protest. I don't know what they're protesting anymore, but they're, they're just, find, I'm sure they'll find something. <laughs> Yeah, they're just protesting for the sake of protesting. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I, I definitely agree. And I think it's interesting that this episode kind of really captures all that. Yeah. 
and and it makes me even more interested to check out the other episodes in the series because I know a lot of the other episodes based on what I've read also dive into other sort of social and political topics as well so I'm kind of curious to see how those other episodes uh, are done because so far, based on this this one episode, I was very impressed by what I saw. Yeah, me too. And I like the fact that they probably used about three different movies. I mean, you also have the mm. family family drama with Malik's family. You also have the actual Karens at the beginning um, and it, that kind of thing. And then you have the Night of the Living Dead. So it is actually using, it could be using more, but I clocked three different movies. Yeah, I, I was kind of like, because I went on IMDb before, because to find out what the other films were in the episode, but it doesn't have them listed there. So I'd be kind of curious to find out what they are, but maybe we'll find out at another time. But in the meantime, though, like, yeah, I think this episode in particular, and I think um, writer-director Marta Cunningham and the cast and crew did a really good job assembling this episode together. But I guess that could be a wrap on this conversation of... Attack of the Carrots from the show Cinema Toast. So, Lindsay, what are your final thoughts on this episode? I think it's really good. I think it's really strong. Um, I think that, yeah, I think the editing's really good, except for who's driving the car, but that, again, doesn't really matter. It just <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> um, sometimes you just can't help yourself when you're enjoying something. But no, I think it's what they do in 30 minutes or less than 30 minutes. I think it's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I was very impressed by what I saw. Uh, I, I mean, it's very funny. Yes. Because even though we've talked about a lot of serious stuff in this section of the show, but I will say it is a very funny episode. There are a lot of funny moments throughout. And it is a comedy, but it's a comedy with a message. And I think that's it's one of the It's very dark humour, I will say as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of dark humour sprinkled throughout. And I got to say, like, if the the makers behind this episode really wanted to kind of capture something that had the vibe of something that George A. Romero would have made, like Night of the Living Dead did, I think they did a really good job because, like I said before, like this episode kind of tackles all this these very topical themes, but does it in a way that, okay, maybe not 100% subtle, but it's done in a way where, okay, you could look at it and be like, oh yeah, I can see what this episode is talking about with its uh, themes. Oh, exactly, and, um, yeah. And, and, uh, and I think George A. Romero would, like if he was still with us today, I think he would really enjoy this episode because it really does capture the feeling of a Romero project. It does. And being that it is Night of the Living Dead, I think that's also very important too because given the legacy behind Night of the Living Dead, it only makes sense that the makers behind this episode wanted to, in a way, kind of acknowledge that film and create something by using this footage to talk about a topic that's worth discussing. And I think that's also another thing too, compared to the other two dubbings that we have seen for this show, is that, yeah, some of it will make topical jokes, but this seems the only one out of the three that actually has something to say with its story. Exactly. Like it's recontextualized everything. It's edited and it's making its point using an old, this is kind of what I wanted from the other two. And I actually got it with this, with this episode. And also doing it in uh, half the time as well, because the other ones were feature length. And this (laughs) was only 30 minutes long. (laughs) Efficiency. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But uh, yeah, I guess that could be a wrap on uh, this episode of Bede versus the Living Dead, 
And thank you, Lindsay, for coming back on to talk about these two episodes from both Medium and Cinema Toast with me. And I promise after this, there'll be no more redubbings of Night of the Living Dead. Because I, not that I know that there's any others out there, but at the moment, these are the only ones that I say, know. I am going to next week, I'm going to get a message from Bed going, guess what? I found another redubbing. I'll be like, no, can we talk about something else? Can we talk about another Night of the Living Dead? <laughs> <laughs> we definitely will for sure. Because however, if I do need someone to come and talk about one, <laughs> if I do find one, you'll be the first person I ask. Yeah. No, I've, always okay. a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Ben. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, so, yeah, I guess uh, before we wrap up the show tonight, uh, Lindsay, where can people find you on the internet this week? Uh, you can find me on all the socials at or one I'm getting confused about which social media is called which social media, so we're just going to leave it at. Mm. You can find me on Schlocken or uh, one. Uh, you can also follow me on Reading Geek, and uh, that's on a couple as well. So um, yeah, pretty much those two names you'll be able to find me. And Schlocken or isn't on all the pods, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, if people want to find me personally, you can find me at. Well, at least at the time of the recording of this episode, uh, Twitter's not called Twitter anymore. It's called X now, apparently. <laughs> That's what I was so I was like, I don't know what it's called, but I know through my four of my social medias is a schluck on all one. So let's just go with that. So, do, do, do I say x.com slash mind? Oh. But you, I don't know. See, Elon, why do you have to be a massive dickhead? Um. Anyways, though. <laughs> I guess regardless, you can find me at either twitter.com slash bjamine or x.com slash You can also find me at my letterboxd at because I know that's not going to be changing anytime soon at letterboxd.com slash And of course you can find all things bead versus the living dead on social media at twitter.com slash Bead VSTLD or x.com slash Bead VSTLD. You can also follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Bead versus the Living Dead. And of course, you can listen to the show on all podcast streaming services everywhere. Uh, leave a rating and review as well. And if you do leave a review, I will make sure to read it on the show as well. So, yeah, that is the end for this episode of Bead versus the Living Dead. I hope you all enjoyed this episode very much. But keep a lookout in two weeks' time where we're going back to television for a second time by talking about the Night of the Living Dead themed episodes of the horror anthology TV show, Creep Show. So stay for, tuned for that in two weeks' time, which will be the milestone to episode 20 of the show. And I'll see you all then. See you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at BeadVSTLD. The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.